Go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah. We, as Mike prayed, we are, we've been looking at the names that were given to the Messiah through the prophet Isaiah. And we're looking at the last one this morning. In Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. Whew. We're going to look at the Prince of Peace, part 4. And as he mentioned, tomorrow we're having a, a special Christmas Eve service. It's going to start at 6, and I'm going to do my best to get us out of here at 7. And it's a family service, so if you, if you uh, have time to stop here before you uh, start celebrating with your families, we want to encourage you to do that or bring them out. You know, I invited mine, so we'll see who shows up before we start our family craziness of uh, Christmas Eve, like the calm before the storm, right? All right. Well, let's pray, then we'll start, we'll start the sermon. Lord God, again, we thank you so much for all that you give us. We thank you again, for this church and for every person who's here today. We pray, Lord God, as we come expecting to hear your word, that you would speak to us as we read and expound upon your word, that you would show us, Lord God, what the true meaning of peace is. And I pray this morning that each and every person would leave this room this morning knowing and experiencing that peace. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So Isaiah 9, verse 6, like always, I like to give a little context to what's happening here just to catch everybody up. So Israel here has been repeatedly turning their backs on the Lord. This is where we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 9. And he is bringing judgment upon them, as you know or may not know, in the form of a foreign invasion. So they have a foreign country coming to invade them, and God is using that as discipline upon his people for their disobedience and their flat-out just rebellion against him. And their means for defending themselves up to this point has not been very good. They've been looking to make peace in the midst of this storm or this tragedy or trial. In a number of ways, they have been making ungodly treaties with foreign nations. They've been trusting in the wrong things and the wrong people, even their own kings. They've worshipped foreign gods. And they've turned to the occult, spiritualists as well. So all the things that God told them not to do when just in life and when they're going through hard times, they've done. And so Isaiah's message to the people, despite all this, is a message of hope. Despite their ungodly decisions and their ungodly efforts, God has promised to bring them salvation in the form of a human and divine person, as we've been studying over the past few weeks, the Messiah. And we have seen over the past few weeks that this Messiah, first of all, is all-knowing. He is also all-powerful. And last week we learned that he was like a father to his people. And today we're going to see how he will bring about peace the peace that they so desperately are looking for and they so desperately need. Now, our world is not much different from the time that we're looking at here. We, for the most part, all want peace, right? We're looking for peace and quiet, peace and harmony. You know, again, this time of the year, everyone's looking for peace and joy, and and they like it because people tend to be a little more nicer, right? Unless you take the thing they want off the shelf there at the store, then they might not be. But for the most part, we all want peace, right? We want world peace. We want inner peace. We want peace in our family, amongst our, the kids, right? We want the brothers and sisters to get along with one another. We want peace. We want peace of mind. We want peace within ourselves. 
Even in our own government documents of the founding of this nation describe, in some sense, peace that they wanted. In the preamble of the Constitution of the United States, it says this. Maybe some of you can recite it. I'm not sure. It says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility or peace, right? Provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. So you can see, even in the Constitution of the United States, they're stated, one of their stated purposes is for peace, tranquility. That's what we want as a nation as well. Even in the Declaration of Independence, there's a section in there that I found that says this, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal stations to which the laws of nature and the natures, excuse me, and of nature's God entitle them. A, a, descent, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind sorry, requires that they should declare the cause which impel them to separation. And then here's the part. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. All those things are conducive to peace, right? Life, liberty, happiness. Even our whole entire nation wants that. We want peace. And as I said, we're not too different from the nation of Israel in that regards. In another regards, we're not too different is that we too have sought all types of ways to bring about this peace in our own lives. Think about how you try to have peace amongst yourself. You know, peace of whatever's going on in relationships, in your family, at work, with your neighbors, right? Sometimes we put the main focus on everything else but God in pursuit of peace. Right? Sometimes we engulf ourselves in education thinking that's going to be the peace that I need. Or your professional career, you think if I just have that perfect job or find that perfect position within my company, I'll have peace. Or maybe you think if I work out enough or if I do the right exercises, if I finally you know, drop that 10 pounds I've been trying to drop for like 20 years now, I'll find perfect peace. Or even in recreation, you know, if I get that uh, new sea dew, or if I can go out hiking another weekend, or whatever whatever your recreation is, we do that to find peace. Or maybe we just busy ourselves with so much in our lives to cloud out everything else in hopes to find peace. Or we think in that perfect relationship, if I find that perfect person in my life, I'm finally going to have peace. If we get married... I'm going to have peace. If we get a divorce, I'm finally going to have peace. Or even in religion, right? If I go to church today, I'm going to have peace. If I go to the right church, I'm going to find peace. And even in false religions, you know, maybe it's, you know what, I tried Christianity. That's not the one for me. I need to find something else. Or even in your own family, if I just surround myself with my family, and nobody else, I'll have peace. 
Now, all those things could bring about a sense of peace, but when they become the main focus and the main pursuit of our life, that's where we fail. And as I said, the nation of Israel has been doing this and so much more. And so this morning's text is really going to tell us how to find that peace that we all want and so desperately need. And as I prayed at the very beginning, I hope that we leave here understanding it better. And for the first time, maybe even some of us really will find it. So let's look at the text in Isaiah 9, starting in verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And that's the one that we're going to look at this morning. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. We're going to look at that as well. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So again, this text this morning is, we're going to focus on the Prince of Peace. And again, this is the solution for the nation of Israel And it is also the solution for each and every one of us this morning. So what does the text say about this subject? Well, first of all, it says this, that the coming child will be called the Prince of Peace. And I want to point out two things. That these names, they describe two things. First, they describe his character. And secondly, they describe his work. And so let's look first at how the Prince of Peace describes the character of this Messiah, who who he is. And we learn this, that he will be a peaceful Messiah when he comes. Right? He comes in peace. He's not coming uh, to this world to be a prince of war or brutality. You remember when Jesus Christ came, because that's who we're talking about. He did not come and fight a war. He did not overthrow the Roman government. Right? A matter of fact, the prophet Zechariah announced the Messiah's coming in Zechariah 9.9 when he said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. He's humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And if you can remember when Jesus Christ came and approached the city on Palm Sunday, remember he came on the foal of a donkey, fulfilling that prophecy that Zechariah spoke of, symbolizing he wasn't coming for war, right? He didn't ride on a horse. If you think of a prince coming to fight war, he's going to come on a war horse. And Jesus came on a donkey. That's a far cry from a very frightening animal, I'm sure. But if you can think of the second coming, he is going to come on a horse. He's depicted as coming on a horse in the book of Revelation. And that time it will be for war. So the first advent, which we're celebrating now, Christ came as, in, as a peaceful prince. Remember Jesus himself, when he calls people to himself, he says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You'll find peace if you come to Christ. That's what he's offering to his people. 
And think of all those who approach Jesus in the Gospels, the outcasts of society, those who are less fortunate, uh, you know, even tax collectors and sinners, people that the rest of the religious you know, uh, society wanted nothing to do with, the religious establishment, excuse me. They wanted nothing to do with these people. But Jesus invited them, and they felt that Jesus was a person that can be approached, right? If you know that you're not afraid of somebody and they make themselves approachable, that's who Jesus was, right? He wasn't scary. You know, even the children, we see in the Gospels that the children approach Jesus. Children are a good uh, judge of character, aren't they, when somebody might be a little intimidating? They won't approach them, you know, sometimes to their... um, you know, for the wrong purpose, you know, they can, easily, they can get fooled. But here, obviously, with Jesus Christ, they weren't. It made me think of this weekend, we were watching the Chronicles of Narnia. Has anybody seen that before? There are two little kids who don't have that stranger danger uh, signal going off in their head. If you remember that little girl, Lucy, she goes with a man to his house or a fawn. She goes and has tea. I mean, like, what is going on, girl? And then her brother, Edmund, takes candy from a lady and just hops in her little uh, sleigh and, you know. <laughs> right? Am I, am I right? Yeah, I remember Mindy pointed that out. I'm like, oh, yeah, huh? Look, what's wrong with those? Where's their mom? Oh, yeah, their mom sent them away to protect them. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know how I got there, but that's the opposite of what I was trying to say, right? Kids will, you know, when they, when they feel like they're comfortable to approach somebody, they will approach them. And obviously, Jesus was the Prince of Peace, and his demeanor and all that he was attracted people. They were attracted to him. And so, anyways, Paul himself in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 calls Jesus Christ the Lord of Peace. So that's who he is. That's his personality, his demeanor. He was a peaceful person, therefore he was approachable, and people felt comfortable approaching Christ. The second thing that we learn about the Prince of Peace, so again, it talks about who he is, his nature, but it also talks about what he does, his works. And I'm going to point out four things here um, about his work and how he brings about peace. So number one, When Jesus came, he brings about peace with God. That's number one. That's the number one thing. Remember, after announcing the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels say to the shepherds about the Messiah, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So the peace comes to the people when God is pleased with them. It's not that Jesus came and just brought peace to everybody. No, he offers it to them. He secures it for them, which we'll see in a moment. And it's only those people who are experienced the peace of Jesus Christ that are right with God. And so the angels announced that. And I want to show you, how does Jesus bring about this peace with God? Well, let me me point two scriptures uh, point to two scriptures. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to look at a few verses here, so uh, you might want to turn there with me as we go through. So Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're going to look at four different verses here. 
This is Paul going to explain how Jesus brings about peace. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have been justified by our faith in Christ, right? We put faith in Christ and we're justified. We now have peace with God. That is the only way to have peace with God, by faith in what Jesus Christ has done. That's important for us to understand because so many times in our world, and even believers think that, you know what, if I do the right thing, if I'm going to church and I'm not sinning, you know, like I can tilt the balance of me sinning versus not sinning, then I'm right with God. And that has nothing to do with getting right with God. It is your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done that makes you right with God. The, the fact that you go to church and you do things that are good are evidence of your faith. They don't make your faith. And so that's important to understand. But again here, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ and what He has done, that's why we have peace with God. Drop down to verse 6 now in Romans chapter 5. Paul says this, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And there's the work that He did. He died. Right? For us. For the ungodly. Drop down to verses 9 and 10. He says, Much more, having now been justified by His blood, again, because Christ died, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Again, this is just demonstrating how we're right with God. Because Christ came and died on the cross for us, and we believe that He died for us and put our faith and hope in Him, then we are reconciled to God. Then we have peace with God. I like what Paul also wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 22 on this topic as well. And I want to read that to you. Colossians 1, verses 20 through 22. He wrote, And through him, meaning Jesus, uh, to reconcile all things to himself, speaking of God, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So this is speaking of those who aren't saved, right? Before you were saved, this is what you know, exemplified your life. Again, I'm going to read that part. It says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in His fleshly body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If we could just study that part. That's Even as I read it again, I, I didn't catch that when I was reading it the other day and again this morning. Look at that. Look at the end of that. That is so awesome to grasp. Verse 22, And yet He has now reconciled you in His flesh, in His fleshly body through death, in order to present you before God, which is Him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Think of that. Christ died, I'm just going to put my name, for Robert. And He presents Robert to God, holy and blameless. And if you're in Christ, that's true about you too. Think of that. You're holy and blameless before God. Why? Because you came to church? No. 
because you walk down an aisle and sit, pray to prayer? No, it's because you put your faith and trust in Christ. That is an awesome thing to think about. You're holy and blameless. Christ, or God sees you now holy and blameless before him. Why? Because you put your faith in Christ. And that is how we have peace with God. Because without that and before that, each and every one of us were called enemies and we're alienated from God. So Christ came, the Prince of Peace came, primarily, number one, to reconcile us to God so that we might have peace with God. The second thing about this peace that Christ brings is peace within ourselves. And this is probably the one thing that everybody is searching for at one time in their life, or even now, to have peace within your own self, right? So many people are trying to find themselves to bring peace about in their own life, or do a bunch of things so they can have peace within themselves. And so this is important. Going back to Romans Here's a few verses I want to read through again and explain as we go through about this peace that Christ brings. So in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. A lot of times, right, we think we are you know, we condemn ourselves. We think bad about ourselves, and especially like, God doesn't love me. God doesn't like what I'm doing right now. I was just mean to somebody, or whatever the case would be, that God is so mad with me. And we bring condemnation upon ourselves. But here the apostle is saying, therefore there, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's so awesome to think about. Right? You can have peace among yourself because God has forgiven you and God is no longer angry with you. He's happy with you because you've trusted in His Son. And that should be the beginning of that peace that we have. Drop down to verse 5 now. He says, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds of things of the flesh. So this is as a non-believer when he speaks this. But those who are of the Spirit, meaning believers, the things of the Spirit, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and, that last word, peace. When you are walking with God and you have your mind set on the things of God, you're at peace. It's when, you have your, when you're in the world as a non-believer and you're thinking about everything else, you're just going crazy, you have no peace. You might have moments of peace as you're doing certain things that you enjoy, and as I mentioned at the very beginning, you're pursuing all these things that you think will bring you peace, but it's not real peace. Peace within ourselves is when we know that we're right with God. That's the foundation of it. I like what a uh, 1800, uh, 1800 commenta uh, commentator said. His name is Charles Hodge. I really liked what he said in explaining this verse. Uh, there is no condemnation. He says this. He says, there is no condemnation means, it means that you're beyond reach of condemnation. That condemnation can't grab you anymore. You're far beyond that reach. Christ's work of reconciling us saves us from the reach of condemnation. So you, you can't be condemned by God. Once you've accepted Christ and you truly believe in Him, there is nothing you can do that can put you back into the reach of condemnation. Think of that. You're so far removed that you can't suffer the wrath of God in final judgment, ever. 
There's nothing you can do. That is an awesome thought to think about. And I like that we've been placed far beyond its reach. It's not just like, oh, I'm saved now and sometimes I come back. No, no. Once you're saved, you're placed far beyond the reach of judgment and condemnation. I was trying to think of an example of, um, of that. Like when I was thinking of a child. You know if you've ever, if you have children and you save them from something and they keep screaming because they think they're still in danger? Some of us are like that as believers. God has totally saved us and removed us from that danger and we're still kicking and screaming and crying and thinking we were in danger. Do you see how silly that looks? Remember you're telling you, look, you're okay, you're okay, it's gone, you know. Uh, Mickey Mouse is gone, he's way over there. You don't have to scream and cry anymore. I've saved you from him. Some of us are, as believers are the same way. We're kicking and screaming and crying because we think we're in danger again of judgment. And God's like, no, I'm, you're in my arms, I'm holding you. I've removed you far from Satan and anything that can condemn you. I thought that was just a great picture. And we need to have that. Some of us, are, again, are struggling with our salvation. Am I saved? Am I not saved? And every time you sin, you think, oh, I'm probably not saved, right? Who's done that before? Probably all of us. Oh, yeah, I'm probably not saved. You know, I stopped going to church for a few weeks or a month or years. I'm probably not saved, you know. You know if you truly trusted in Christ, you will come back. You know, you're, God's holding you, and you're kicking and screaming and crying, and he's holding you. Another commentator named John Calvin, he says this. I really like this. He says, the gospel is one of peace because its effect is to reconcile us to God and put our conscience to rest. I'm going to read that again. Think of this. The gospel is one of peace because its effect is to reconcile us to God and put our conscience to rest. When you're in Christ, your conscience is at peace. Now, there's going to be moments where you're still stressing out about things, but your salvation is secure. You know, no matter what happens in my life, I'm saved, and I'm right with God, and there's peace in knowing that. And that's a struggle that we're going to have for the rest of our lives, going through that. And Satan wants nothing more than to, for us to always question our salvation and keep us, you know, standing still instead of moving forward. So, the peace that God brings, the peace that Jesus brings is peace with God and peace within ourselves. Look at the third one. It's peace with others. When you become a believer and you understand this peace that you have and you understand who you are in Christ, it is easier, not all the time, but it gets a little easier to have peace with other people. Romans fourteen seventeen talks about this peace within the church body, right? Because sometimes even within the church, right? It's not peaceful. And he's telling them they need to be at peace. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In that section, he's talking about, hey, don't use your freedom in Christ to cause another brother to stumble. Right? It's, and it's not about you know, what we do and we don't do, the kingdom of God. It's about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We should try to do all we can so that people don't stumble, right? But we don't put that yoke upon them and say, hey, you can't do this, you can't do that as a believer. We want to we pursue peace. And Scripture gives numerous examples of the peaceful life believers are instructed to have in their family 
relationships and their work relationships and in their friendships as well. We don't have time to delve into all those topics, but there's plenty of scripture about that. And the key starts with the right relationship God with, with God. When you have your right relationship with God, then you will see the fruit of peace work in all the other relationships around your life. Obviously, the, the one that I always think of and I always mention is in our marriage, right? So when the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and gives himself for her, then it's, you're a lot more easier to love, husbands, when you do that. Wives, you don't need to say amen. <laughs> but when you love your wife and you give yourself for her, what wife doesn't want you to love her and give yourself for her all the time and put her needs ahead of your own? Right? Then your, your marriage will be a lot peaceful. It's when you both want your own way and neither one of you wants to give in, then have fun with that. Have fun with the couch at night. This is one example of peace with others. When you're both living for God, you both put God first, you're going to do what God says, which means the husband's going to put his wife first, and the wife is going to put her husband first, and you're going to be fighting of who goes first, right? That's going to be the extent of your arguments. Fourthly, so Christ brings peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others, and this is the one we all want as well, is peace in the midst of trials of life. Right? We just want that peace, to know that everything's going to be okay. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So it's a different type of peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. But he's not saying he's going to take, it, take you out of the situation or he's going to solve it for you right away. He says, I'm going to give you the peace in the midst of it. As a matter of fact, in John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. The promise to the Christians, hey, you're going to have your best life now. Every day is going to be a Friday. No, it doesn't say that. Those are titles of Christian books, by the way, if you didn't know that. That's baloney, to put it mildly. Jesus never said that. Matter of fact, he says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. The greatest example of tribulation is Jesus Christ on the cross. God didn't save him from the cross. Jesus even prayed, if this cup could pass from me, then let it pass from me, in my words. No. God gives us the peace in the midst of the trials and the storms. And he's with us because we're his children and we love him. Just like you do with your own children. You help them through their problems. You don't take it away from them. Then they never learn and they never grow up. If you're continually solving their problems for them. Sometimes you have to let them suffer the consequences of the decisions that they make. So that they'll learn. But, but they know you're there with them. And you're looking out for their best interests. And Christ does the same for his children. So again, the four types of peace that Christ brings. Number one, peace with God. Number two, peace within ourselves. Three, peace with others. And four, peace in the midst of the trials of life. And the fifth one really goes to my next point. Is, is in verse 7 of our text. You're like, oh yeah, we had an Isaiah text, huh? 
Isaiah chapter 9. The notes are probably coming out of order. I didn't change them with our media team. Sorry, media team. Isaiah 9, verse 7. It says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. So it's saying when Jesus comes, there's going to be no end to peace. What does he mean by that? Because ever since Christ came, wars have continued and are still going on, aren't they? People are still fighting. What does he mean by this? I think he's talking about peace eternally. The peace that he gives to each and every believer. Every time somebody is saved, they experience all this peace. And that will never stop. That just increases and increases and increases. Every time somebody gives their life to the Lord, they experience peace with God. And nothing can stop that. That's one way that we can look at it. The other way is that there will be a peace that increases, increases, and never ends, and that's the eternal state. Right? One day, we will live with God, and peace will reign forevermore, and there will be no more wars. Matter of fact, I want to read that this verse to you in Revelation 22. Here's a depiction, or one depiction, of the eternal state at the second coming of Christ, the second advent, where we will experience eternal peace, and this peace will never cease. I want to read it, just verses 1 through 5. This is our future for those of us in Christ. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of the street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So just a depiction of peace and bliss. You know, hopefully you like fruit, because you're going <laughs> to... Chapter, or verse 3. This is the great part. There will no longer be any curse. That means all sin is history. And the effects of sin are all gone. And the throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be on their forehead, foreheads. And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have any need of light, of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever and ever. That's eternal peace right there. It's never going to end. That's our future in Christ. So, with those things in mind, what's the application for us? Well, how do we respond to the news of the coming Prince of Peace? And we'll close with these last four points. Number one, and probably the most important one, is to receive Him as your Prince. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, believe that what He did on the cross atones for your sins then I would plead with you, be reconciled to God and experience that peace. That is number one. Cry out to Him. When we pray in a moment, I'll give you that opportunity to do that. Asking God to forgive you of your sins. Telling Him you trust in Him with your life. That you trust in what He's done pays for your sins and you can have peace with God. Number two. How shall we respond to the, this news of the coming Prince of Peace? Is grow in your knowledge 
of the Prince of Peace. Grow in your knowledge of the Prince of Peace. And this is going to bring a few things. It's going to bring, oh, well, let's, let me show you a scripture here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. This is talking about the armor of God. Uh, this is probably one that when you read the armor of God, you, you don't really cover that well. At least I've never heard it covered that well. Um, Ephesians 6, verse 15, he says, And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Topic is peace. So what is that? What is he talking about here? Well, obviously he's talking about, if you know this section, about a Roman soldier and the uniform that he wears. And he's talking about his, the sandals. He's comparing the sandals that the Roman soldiers wear to the Christian who is supposed to have strapped on their feet, according to verse 15, the preparation of the gospel of peace. So what is he talking about there? Well, to understand that you have to understand that the sandals were very important for the Roman soldier. Right? He had to walk many miles. He had to trek mountains and fields and all kinds of things. So that protected his feet. So it was protection. It also helped him to stand. So his feet weren't sore. He could stand in the midst of battle. So growing in your knowledge of understanding all this piece of what Christ has done for you is going to help each and every one of us as believers to be able to stand strong. The more you understand about what God has done for you and who He is and who you are in Him, you can stand strong against the enemy. Not only can you stand strong, you can fight back against the enemy. Fight back against all the philosophies and the things that battle for your attention and your time because you understand who you are and what you have in Christ. I like what Pastor John MacArthur writes in his commentary on this section. He says, when our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, so when we have this, he says, we stand firm in the confidence of God's love for us, his union with us, and his commitment to fight for us. When you understand that God's for you, then you rest easy. You're not so quick to go off like ancient Israel when they didn't think God was going to help them. They went and tried to find other solutions. They went and worshipped other gods. They, they turned to the occult because they were so desperate. They didn't understand what God was doing. They didn't wait for Him. They didn't trust Him. They didn't understand Him enough to wait for Him and allow Him to work. And again, some of us can do that in our own lives, right? Our life's going crazy, and we don't see God giving me my best life now. Right? That's the problem with books like that. They, they cause you to think that God is supposed to give you everything now, and your life is supposed to be perfect. That's not true. That's not the gospel. You need to trust in God and wait for Him so that you don't go outside of His um, desires for you and get yourself in a bunch of trouble. And again, that's what ancient Israel is doing, and that's why they're suffering at this moment in the text that we're studying. So again... I don't think that... Did that quote come up? Oh, yeah. That's an awesome quote. Since we have time, let's just look at it for a little while. No, I'm just kidding. I want to read it again because I think it's important. This is application. When our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, this is about knowing, right, we stand firm in the confidence of God's love for us, His union with us, and His commitment to fight for us. It's important that we read God's... That's one reason why you should come to church, is that you can get to know God more. Mike, thankfully, uh, said, we didn't pay him to say it, that the pastors preach the word of God. Thank you, Mike. 
Uh, the minute that we don't preach the word of God, then go to another church, would be my exhortation to you. Is we go through the word of God because we learn that stuff. That's how we learn who we are. Our Bible studies go through the word of God so that they can understand who we are in Christ. And we do those things so that each and every one of us will grow in our understanding of who the Prince of Peace is so that we can survive this world and glorify God and do all the things that we talked about today. So how then shall we respond to the coming Prince of Peace? Number one, receive him as your prince. Grow in your knowledge of the Prince of Peace. And three, live peaceably. Right? So if we have this peace and we're all about peace, then we should go out and be peaceful people as well. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Pursue peace. He's speaking to the church. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see, which, excuse me, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The main point there is that we are called to pursue peace with all men. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but we're told to do it. Pursue peace. So when you're fighting with somebody, try to pursue peace. What's going to be conducive to help you have peace with them? And fourthly and lastly, how shall we respond to the news of the coming Prince of Peace? We should proclaim the gospel of peace. Mike kind of mentioned, hey, we got these new cards. This is an easy way to proclaim. For those of you that aren't like maybe bold enough to, hey, I just can't go to somebody and say, hey, are you reconciled with God? They're, they're like, what? Are you a net? You can easily go, hey, here's our church. Do you have a church you go to? I'm going to teach you evangelism 101. Hey, my name is Robert. Um, I just want to invite you out to our church. Do you have a church that you go to? That's pretty simple, right? Or hey, here. <laughs> or you could take the JW and just go like this. You guys know Jehovah Witnesses? They're right there at the, they're right there at the library Monday through Friday. <laughs> they just stand there. But you could do more than that. We have the truth. Just say, hey, there's a directions on the back. Love to have you at our church if you don't have a church to go to. Proclaim the gospel of peace. That is our calling. Let me just read this verse. I've read it a number of times. It's one of, one of my favorites. 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 19. And we'll, I promise we'll close with this. It says this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So if any of you are in Christ, guess what? You're a new creation. We all love that, right? The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's us. Now, sometimes we stop at that verse, right? We just quote one verse, but it's, it's good to read the entire section. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're talking about. Christ has reconciled us to God, and now he's given us, all those who have been reconciled to God, the ministry of reconciliation, Namely, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, now counting their trespasses against, not counting their trespasses against him, I'm sorry. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, because of all this, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I went one verse farther, but... I like that one too. We have the ministry of reconciliation. God has called us to go out and extend the kingdom of God 
by proclaiming the peace that we've all experienced. And we all do that in a number of different ways. And I said, just even give, just inviting somebody to church is doing that. So let's commit this year, and even during this Christmas season, I would encourage you guys to take a handful of these and at least hand out one a week. Could we commit to doing that? And don't hand them to your kid. Here, kid, you need to come to church. <laughs> they should come to church regardless because you're mom and dad. Amen? I remember my dad says, you get to do what you want when you move out. That's a good thing for us as parents to remember. No, you're going to do this because this is whose house? My house. My house. Right? You don't pay rent. Anyways, I, I won't lecture that. <laughs> I was going to channel my dad for a minute. <laughs> this is a church. No, just kidding. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And thank you again that we have a time in our calendar year when all the world whether they know it or not, is focused upon the peace that you bring. They might not understand it. Sometimes, Lord, we don't understand it. But I pray that as we grow in understanding it, of the peace that we have in you, that we would be bold enough to share it. And we would share it even this week with at least one person in our family. We would find a way to do that. And so, Lord, I want to give this morning opportunity for those people in this room who have never been reconciled to you by putting their faith and trust in your son, Jesus Christ, and trusting in his work on the cross to atone for their sins. I pray this morning that you would move in their hearts, and that in the quietness of their hearts, and as they're sitting in their seat, Lord God, that they would cry out to you, telling you that they believe, and that they would trust in you. And Lord, they would experience the true meaning of Christmas and experience peace with God, peace in themselves, peace in the relationships, and then one day experience eternal peace. And we all look forward to that day, Lord, and we echo the sentiments of John in the book of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We thank you for this day, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.